Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. I'm Talia Bacassis. And I'm Kim France. So today we have Lisa Lucas, the outgoing executive director of the National Book Foundation and incoming senior VP at Knopf Doubleday. Welcome, Lisa. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Those are two really cool jobs. Did you always know you <laughs> wanted to go into publishing? Absolutely not. I mean, I think I was like, <laughs> I get asked a lot about like what I wanted to be when I grew up, when I was a kid, and I don't think I had any real sense at all. I was always a reader. I always loved books. But I think right when I graduated college, I became a much more serious, like independent reader, like beyond mm-hmm. just the books that were being given to me in classes. And then I ended up working in theater and film. And, and I guess when I left Tribeca in 20, end of 2011, I felt kind of like, hmm, I'm reminded of this long desire to work in books and how much I enjoy this particular format. And maybe mm-hmm. that's what I'll do. I read on your Wikipedia page that you were an intern at Vibe when you were 15. Mm-hmm. How could you be an intern at 15? My mother worked in advertising and I think she knew the publisher at um, Vibe at that time. And okay. um, I needed something to do in the summer. And so they just like kind of allowed this little 15-year-old to hang out. But my mom probably needed like childcare in the summer. You know, like <laughs> 15-year-old, don't get into trouble. And uh, that's how it happened. But I definitely was like so intrigued by the work. So you're the executive director of the National Book Foundation that runs the National Book Awards. What are those? Um, The National Book Awards are probably, you know, we always think about it as like the Oscars of books. And it's crazy because this year it has to be digital. So we've for 71 years held like a ceremony. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is going to be the first year that we don't have a physical ceremony. But, you know, we do fiction, nonfiction, poetry, translated literature and young people's literature. But we're part of like a bigger nonprofit. And so we do a lot of work trying to build readers 
you know, and trying to get people excited in reading, especially like communities that have not been considered the audience is a lot of our focus. Right. You know, how do you get into rural spaces? How do you, you know, we gave 1.4 million books to kids and families in public housing over the years. Right. So you're not a book recommender per se, but as somebody who is running that show, you have your finger incredibly on the pulse of what's happening with books. So I really want to hear your book recommendations. But let's just go around this invisible table. Kim, what are you reading right now? I am not at all ashamed to admit that I am reading The Chiffon Trenches by Andre Leon Talley, um, which is a very fun book, you know, very entertaining, and nobody really gossips or talks out of school about Anna Winter, and he really does. And, you know, (laughs) he was super betrayed by her, you know, and it's just interesting to read. It's interesting also because it's, it's such a time capsule. Magazines just aren't that way anymore. How was he betrayed by her? He got old, you know, he got old and she just, you know, left him behind. Didn't she get old too? (laughs) Yeah, you would think. You would think. (laughs) She's got the sunglasses that protect her from aging. (laughs) Tally, what are you reading? I'm reading Luster by Raven Leilani. And it is making me feel a little bit old. Um... I think there's a lot of sex in it, and there's something that the new generation of writers do where they write really explicit sex very casually, and mm-hmm. so yeah. she'll just throw in, like, where, you know, like, I sat on his cock, or, like, really, really explicit things where I'm like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> you know, it's Sally Rooney, like, all these uh, younger women owning their desire, but it makes me still squirm a little bit. <laughs> I'm sort of in love with it. You know, I mean, I think, you know, it's like reading Nicholson Baker and Henry Miller and Philip Mm -hmm. Roth and, you know, James Salter. I mean, it's like, you know, this is old work and they were talking like that many, many years ago. Right. You know, it's interesting, you know, because it's just like Luster is exciting in a lot of ways because you see finally a black woman actually being published, you know, to the general marketplace who is writing about explicit sex. It's like I was watching uh, Insecure recently Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. uh, it was so interesting because when was the last time you saw two black people joyfully having sex without like a plot line that leads to pain? Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I mean, it's just like, but there's so many representations of white folks joyfully having sex everywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, and also just that explicitness. I mean, it's like that's existed. It's just, I think it's so shocking you know, we've just never seen these stories to, to, to scale. I mean, I've always been like, why don't we have an explicit sex book? Hmm. I guess. I guess I'm just, maybe I compartmentalize a lot. And so I haven't always had that in my uh, relaxation reading. <laughs> this yeah, well, no, I don't know if it's relaxing. <laughs> I would definitely <laughs> not argue that that's, that's necessarily like the most comforting writing. But I do think that who is allowed to be obscene or explicit Mm-hmm. or titillating is changing. You know, also the way that those books enter the mainstream is changing. Mm-hmm. How so? Like, I think Luster has been marketed as this, like, you know, very sexy book, and, you know, people are sort of like, wow, you know, she's so... But, like, Fifty Shades of Grey sold more copies than anything else on planet Earth. Right. But Fifty Shades of Grey was marketed as that, like, as yeah. a sex book. Like, And I didn't read it because I was like, oh, it's just softcore porn is what I was mm-hmm. made to believe it was. Yeah, but it's just, it's interesting how we, how not individuals talk about sex in books, but how we collectively think about sex in books. 
Mm-hmm. All the way from the publication, the writer, the publication, the critical apparatus, you know, all the way through. It's just fascinating. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What are you reading right now? I am still waiting through Isabel Wilkerson's cast, which is wonderful. Uh. It's very, 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 I mean, wonderful in the sense that it's wonderfully well-written and rigorously, you know, thought out and researched. Um, I don't know that the subject matter is so wonderful, you know, but, you know, what book about America right now is. Right. And that's a book also (laughs) where she makes comparisons to the Indian caste system as well. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. sort of really reframes how we think about class and race in a a new framework, you know, using this lens of caste. And I think it changes, you know, I think a lot of times people are like, oh, discrimination isn't about race because there's so many people who aren't people of color that are being discriminated against because they don't have any money. It's about class. Mm -hmm. This is all our one problem. Mm -hmm. And that's always been met sort of with, you know, a decent amount of unhappiness by people of color, I think, because it's not the same. And there are specific rules for how we govern communities of color in this country. Mm -hmm. She really does a great service by trying to give us another tool with which to look at how we've organized ourselves into haves and have nots and what race means for that system. Well, that actually dovetails with another question that we have. And I wonder if this is your answer. What to you is the best new book by an author of color? Or are there several? Gosh, there's so many. I mean, I think that we've been Mm -hmm. in, you know, a multi-year cycle of incredible, extraordinary work being written that's different from the narratives that we've seen for so long. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm just looking right now at like a little shelf of books and I'm seeing Megha Majumdar's A Burning. I'm looking at Percival Everett's Telephone. I'm looking at Charles Yu's Interior Chinatown. You know, I think we saw Kathy Park Hong come out with a really incredible book this year. Britt Bennett, um, Luster. You have just so much extraordinary work that's coming out right mm-hmm. now. Do you have a fiction recommendation for someone who has a pandemic-related attention span problem? <laughs> and by someone, I mean me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I have the same problem. You know, it's like just because you work in books doesn't mean you're not affected in the same way and your reading isn't affected in the same way. Um, one of the books that I feel like really early on when I absolutely was just so frightened and despairing was Saga. Um, which is a graphic novel. It's actually not brand new. It's kind of like a space opera about two planets that are fighting this proxy war all over the universe. And, Mm. you know, a couple that comes from both of those planets and generally do not intermix. And, you know, it's a family drama and a war drama and a space saga. And it's really smart and it's really fun. It's compulsively page-turnery in the way that comics often can be and it just like mm-hmm. absolutely took me all the way away from where I was wow which I thought was uh, fabulous oh I love a graphic novel that's great yeah me too even though summer's at its end what would you say is the best summer beach read for someone who wants to pretend that they can be on a beach right now I think the gold standard for me when I think about stories that are happening on a beach that make me want to continue reading is um <laughs> The Neapolitan Quartet by Elena Ferrante, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I just feel like even if you've read it before, like, you know, you're all of a sudden you're somewhere completely different from where you are and you're a teenager, you know, negotiating romantic entanglements on a beach in the summertime when you're bored out of your mind. And it's just like such a great series of books to, to be transported, enraged, entertained, 
confused, right. <laughs> you know, enriched, and to spend a little time at the beach. You sort of answered my next question, because, which was, what's the best beach read that you don't have to feel guilty reading? Those, mm-hmm. obviously, you don't have to feel guilty reading, but what are some others? <laughs> I don't think you have to feel guilty about any book, honestly. Like, a book is a book, and somebody, if somebody wrote a book, and it's, like, 350 pages long, like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, it's like, you're allowed to love what you love. Like, I, so I'm anti-guilt. Read what you like. Me too. You know, I think that that's, like, really important. But I'd say that, like, a good... Um, Samantha Irby's um, Wow, No Thank You yeah. is like, oh, yeah. I think we sometimes are like, oh, humor is not real writing. And humor is, in fact, real writing. And some of the people who make, you know, sort of our most like hilarious TV shows, they're writing, you know, but it's right. like, but I think Sam Irby, that book is so smart. And it's like about, you know, she's, I think she's exactly the same age as me. And I just feel like it, it felt very um, nice to feel seen by someone so funny you know, as a woman in the world, you know, sort of navigating just, like, being 40. Yeah, we, we're big fans of Samantha Irby. She she came on the show a while ago. We're all for her. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Very, she's hilarious. Yeah. What's the best biography you've read lately? You know, I have to say that with the attention span situation, I have not been diving into <laughs> any, like, you know, 900-page, like, bio, you know, biography showstoppers. I truly just have not. Well, what are one not so lately that you've liked? Gosh, there's so many interesting biographies that I have loved over the years. I suppose I go back to Bob Caro, Robert mm-hmm. Caro, mm. always. And I have not finished the LBJ books. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I sort of dip in because I just always want there to be a little more to read. I don't want to run out because he's so beloved to me. That's just been such an extraordinary journey and so rigorous and so detailed and so unique that it's always the thing that I kind of, you know, the art of the biography is really on full display in anything that Bob Caro writes. My favorite Bob Caro story is that he moved his wife to the Texas Hill Country in order to research that LBJ book. She, I think she said something to him like, couldn't you have been interested in somebody in Paris? <laughs> well, Ina was his partner. You know, she was the only researcher that's ever worked on any of the Robert Caro books. Mm-hmm. So, you know, he couldn't do the work without her there. Right. That's one of my favorite stories. But, um, but yeah, she was the only researcher that's worked on those books with him. It's fascinating. How about memoirs? What's a memoir you really love? Sarah Broom's The Yellow House, which just came out in paperback, which is um, the story of the house that she grew up in in New Orleans East. It won the National Book Award last year mm-hmm. um, and is this extraordinary book about cartography and memory and family and architecture and homes and race and, you know, generational wealth and all sorts of things. It's really, really an extravagantly good work of autobiography or memoir. Mm. Um, I feel like I'm, there's something on the surface of my memory here. Is there a good memoir that came out recently that was a graphic novel? What am I thinking I'm of? I'm sure there was. Um, I, I think that there have been a lot of really interesting graphic novels that have been memoirs, but I do not know which one you're speaking of. Oh, I know. I know what it is. I'm thinking of, it's for, young, it's for children. My son was reading Guts by Raina Tegelmeyer. Oh, fun. Yeah. I've never read those books, but... Oh, they're really fantastic. A lot of the kids' graphic novels are really wonderful, and she's really great. 
It's a book about um, having anxiety over your body and about vomiting and, yeah, this very specific kind of anxiety. Hmm. Yikes. I am glad to be an adult. <laughs> yeah. I think it extends. <laughs> Who do you think is a great underheralded author? Percival Everett who is a fiction writer who's very prolific and extravagantly talented. I would say actually him and his wife are both underrated authors. Danzy Senna, Mm -hmm. um, who wrote um, New People in Caucasia. Um, Percival's new book is called Telephone. And actually, there are three separate endings. So there are three different editions living out in the wild. Wow. Oh, no way. And you would not know which one you get? Mm -mm. Obviously, you can know the end before you get it. But I mean, like, if you wanted to read all three... Are they indicated on the cover? The copies that I had were indicated for me. So I uh-huh. don't know. I have three copies of it, and so I have all three of the endings. But I do not know how they actually put it out into the marketplace. But he's just always That's been a favorite. He's just he's funny, extraordinary social critique. He's been publishing for many, many years. And I think that he does. He's like kind of like a cult favorite. But I think he should just be like a favorite. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. A book that I read years ago that has stuck in my mind for a while is A Visit from the Goon Squad by Jennifer Egan, mm-hmm. which I think everybody loved. But I, I'm, I'm trying to find a book that strikes me the same way that book struck me, that spanned generations and, you know, had such a big heart. Mm, Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Sounds like what you might be looking for, hmm. which is... Um, about a Korean family who moves to Japan and goes over multiple different generations, and it's just an extraordinary story. Also a National Book Award finalist um, and a really wonderful book. I feel like we're in a bookstore, and you're like the most knowledgeable possible bookstore <laughs> clerk. This is perfect. <laughs> I know. That book is very different from The Goon Squad, but it's also just really takes you through time in a way that is extremely absorbing and wonderful. Great. Mm. Our show notes are going to be so long for this show. I know. I should have said off the top, we're going to put these in the show notes, and I'm going to have to go through and like try to figure out all the names that you said. <laughs> but I will do it. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin. And I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. 
But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hia Sera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry leading sustainability standards. You know, I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. Do you have a best first book by an author over 40? You know, that is a great question. And I feel like I would have to really dive into Wikipedia to try and figure it out. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. I mean, I think there's an extraordinary number of women writing great books who started after 40. I don't know. I, I have a feeling, I think Annie Prue and... Um, started late, probably in her late 30s, um, although you'd have to fact check me on that. I think also, um, um, oh gosh, beloved Canadian short story writer. Oh, yeah. Alice Monroe. Thank I you. I believe started later in her career <laughs> I'm Canadian, as well. Lisa. <laughs> oh, it's funny, but yeah, I think Alice Monroe started later too, but I, I, I really couldn't she tell did. you. Um, mm. But I suspect that there's a lot more than you think there are. I don't think it's like so strange for people to write their first book in their 40s. No, I'm trying to write my first book in my 50s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> How about books by older women about older women? Books by older women about older women. I mean, I really liked um, oh, Meg Wolitzer's most recent book, which is, is about oh, um, yeah, that was men good. mentorship <laughs> and really like explores that sort of generational divide between a young woman on the come up and a woman who's sort of like mid to late career and what their relationship is and what mentorship can look like and what's complicated about it and what's not and feminism across different generations. And I thought that that was a really interesting one. Um, the female persuasion. Yes. And I'm not going to go ahead and call Meg older, but you know, she's definitely a veteran writer. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. Do you have books you find yourself returning to repeatedly? Yeah, there's definitely a couple. The house of mirth is something that I really love. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've read that book several times or just kind of like popped back in and seen, you know, just like what's going on with everybody. How's Selden? How's, uh, you know, how's everybody hanging in there? How's Lily? <laughs> um, so the House of Mirth is definitely a book that I return to again and again. I feel like I often return to Studs Terkel's books, um, Working or um, the book about, you know, the Great Depression and those are oral histories, so it's always nice to kind of pop in and just read a few selections from it. 
but he's always been one of my favorite, um, my favorite writers. Mm -hmm. What excites you most about your new job going into your new job? Well, I think I'm really excited about things changing a little bit. I mean, I think that, um, you know, publishing is definitely in the middle of, um, a real reckoning itself mm-hmm. alongside the whole country. And I think that the opportunity to kind of like, you know, really be able to shape the culture through the work that we publish and how we decide to sell it to the marketplace. You know what I mean? To think about readers and new readers and who's not being served well, you know, and to really say, you know, middle-aged white women are absolutely 100% never going to be the primary place where I focus my gaze. Right. And, and, but that does not exclude, I can publish books that everyone will really get something from, but to not have to, in a marketing or publicity way, focus it in a specific direction. Right, of course. Yeah. That's, not about, that's not about, I don't want people to read the books. That's about making sure that people can speak. You know, Kiesi Lehman is such an extraordinary author. And I think one of the reasons why he's so interesting is because he's writing to black readers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's often not been the case or the allowance made. You know, I mean, I think Toni Morrison was, you know, famously said it again and again, which was that her work was not directed that way. And yet, mm-hmm. so many of us have read Beloved and The Bluest Eye and Jazz, and these books are, are, are a testament to the power of American literature, right? But, mm-hmm. but it be, you know, I think that so many authors have had the luxury of writing to whoever the hell they want. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that writers of color haven't. And then I think also, you know, you'll read a book sometimes and you'll be like, you know, plodding along inside of the story. And then there's a moment where a book just about people, you know, just people, and there's a person at the party and it's like, a black woman walked in the door. And that indicates to you that every single other person that will be mentioned by race or otherwise right. is not. And, I, and, I, and, and that indicates who you're writing to, doesn't it? Of course, yeah. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm excited to sort of really not spend all of my time thinking about. Well, I feel like it needs to be said, like, we are too middle-aged white ladies but I think I'm ready to not be the uh, default demographic yeah I, I think it's like it's it's not so much a difference in work it's a difference in posture I don't think anybody is saying like who cares about you you don't need to read books no you know what I mean which is unfortunately what people have said to black audiences for a long time but it's like I think mm-hmm. it is more that, that we need a you know a sort of comprehensive literature and all of it doesn't need to look at one demo because yeah. we've been able to sell books to that demo and that demo is interested in reading books from all kinds of perspectives as well. Well, yeah, that demo has to, you know, I think that demo has definitely put some books on the bestseller list. The question again is going to be whether or not that demo keeps putting those books on the list for years to come or stops again like in the 60s. What do you mean? People were interested. Civil rights was happening. People wanted to feel like they weren't racist. And so right. they were like, let's read these books about civil rights movement. And then the minute that, you know, sort of that quieted, people go back to, you know, segregation in their cultural consumption again right Mm -hmm. like there's a general fatigue and then people like move the needle backwards i mean if you were to look at the bestseller list today it doesn't look like it did in june so books are already dropping off and there's 325 million americans right you know if everybody was so you know comprehensively interested in reading you know against type i think we would maybe see the the bestseller list hold stronger longer Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And most of the books that we see that are being published onto the bestseller list are like, like right, even if it's not by a person of color, you see, you know, white fragility and you see, you know, how to be an anti-racist and, 
I think people are looking for instruction, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but again, I want to see books on the bestseller list that are just for readers. Right. Like, not books that are, like, being published just by black people to educate white people. That does not say that we have a healthy literary landscape. And I think people want to think that it does because everybody bought a copy of Ibram's book, which they should. It does not tell us that we have a healthy literary landscape because everybody bought that one book. No, it has to be like a long-standing change. We're seeing a reaction and not necessarily a shift. Right. Mm -hmm. It's an important distinction. Again, it's going to all come down to what people actually do with their dollars and their time over time. And I'll be very Mm -hmm. encouraged if that actually holds extremely um are there any other books that you wanted to talk about that you didn't get a chance to talk about no i mean just think it's like a really good you know there's a bunch of things on my shelf that i'm really excited to dig into that i have not yet read you know so claudia rankin's just us is coming out from gray wolf soon which is going to be very exciting i don't know if you've read um citizen Mm -mm. which was published maybe five years ago um six years ago and it's um a collection of poetry Um, And in the back of the book, it's really interesting, she has a page where she adds the names of every um, black person shot by the police. And so now it's in, it's like, I don't know what printing they're in, but they have to keep printing it every time. Every time they reprint it, they add the new names. Um, And it really does talk about sort of like the way that this country works. Um, And so that's uh, her new book, Just Us. Um, which is about race in America is good. and she's extraordinary. I mean, just honestly, one of our most brilliant thinkers, brilliant poets, brilliant writers. Um, that's exciting. Elena Ferrante has a new one called The Lying Life mm-hmm. of Adults, which I'm excited about. Um, there's actually a book um, that a friend sent to me that I have not yet read that I'm very excited about, Disha Filia, which is called The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, which is um, a collection of short <laughs> stories. And it's actually um, published by West... Virginia University Press, which is so interesting, and I'm thrilled to read it. Um, Red Pill by Hari Kunzru is coming out soon, and he's always been a favorite author of mine, so that's exciting. There's a lot of great books. You know, it's really a shame that a lot of this work is getting published into this very strange climate, you know? Yeah, Yeah. I feel for anybody who has a book coming out right now. Mm -hmm. And how do you read your books? Do you still prefer, like, a physical book? Yes. I'm a physical book reader, although, you know, I have to read, you know, especially as we're reading manuscripts and whatnot, when the new gig starts, uh, definitely we'll have to be reading electronically a lot more. Mm-hmm. Mm. And so you're going to be um, overseeing Pantheon and Shakin. And so mm-hmm. what do you plan on doing there? That's a great question. Um, I mean, I don't start until January. And so there's a real long runway. And I think that, you know, people, you know, definitely we're going to be looking at, you know, Pantheon's list and saying, how do we take this like historic imprint that's published Marguerite de Ross and Gunter Grass and Studs Terkel, you know, and Marjane Chatrapi and, you know, Art mm. Spiegelman and all of these incredible, extraordinary authors. And how do you you know, give it a future. How do you honor the past and give it a future is the question. But you also, you know, you work with a team of editors and designers and marketers and publicists and you come up with that together. So I think it's going to be a really fun project to do that collaboratively. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I maybe gave you like a little bit of a disingenuous answer earlier, which is like, I'm so excited to sort of politically do this thing, but I'm mostly just excited to make good books and to come up with what these books are going to look like with people. But it's like, but I do want to sort of look at the world as we experience it right now. And I think a lot of people want the cultural landscape to look like what they're comforted by. And I think people don't realize that that excludes a lot. And so it's going to be really exciting to sort of give the sort of excellence treatment 
both on the marketing side, publicity side, design side, you know, and have those books look different, you know, and, and mm-hmm. add to, you know, there was a, there was a conversation about, um, Criterion Collection. Did you see that article in the New York Times? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Only nine films in the Criterion. Four filmmakers are represented. Two of them are living in the Criterion Collection. And that man who has been the sort of, you know, the the head of it has been there since the 80s. Hmm. Wow. You know, and so I think the question is, like, you know, we know, you know, many of us work in quote-unquote excellence, right? You know, sort of like letters, with a capital L. And um, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what that looks like with 40-year-old black me, you know, getting to sort of sign off on what excellence with a capital E looks like in 2020. And I think that I might have a very different take on that than some of the, than, than you know, the almost exclusively white decision makers that have been in charge of the canon for time, as, you know, for all the time we've known it to be true. That feels exciting. Yeah, it's exciting. Yeah. And I hope I, you know, I hope we all do okay at it. You know, we'll see. Time will tell. <laughs> Good yeah. luck with it. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to dig into a lot of these recommendations. Yeah, me too. Where should we send people if they want to know more about you or read more about you? Or Twitter is you? probably the place. Um, I'm Lika Luca, L-I-K-L-U-C-A. And that's Great. where I often am found. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for this, Lisa. Of Thank course. you. Thanks so much for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.